MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, March 28th, 2022. Today, the Manhattan DA has begun returning evidence in the stalled case against Trump. Depositions have been scheduled for Donald and his kids in a civil case against their pyramid scheme. An update in the We Build the Wall fraud case. The January 6th committee weighs a subpoena for Ginny Thomas after the release of 29 text messages to the former White House chief of staff. President Biden unveils a new minimum tax on the rich. And Russian generals are getting killed at an extraordinary rate. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. We have lots of good news today, along with some regular news, which we'll get to first. And then we'll do the good news at the end, because that's I like to end it on a good note. So if you have any good news that you want to submit or any corrections, if I get anything wrong, or uh, confessions, or you want to play What the Mutt, where you send us a photo of your foster pup, and I try to guess what breed or mix of breeds it is, which is really hilarious because I'm always wrong. You can do that or send in your Whoopi stories, um, whatever you want to send us. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And by the way, if you just unsubscribe and resubscribe to the Daily Beans, it should fix your Apple podcast feed. We don't know why that got screwed up. We'd never heard back from Apple when we submitted a ticket for it. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about how I loved Biden's remarks at Warsaw. And I think that that last line where he said, my God, this man cannot remain in power. I do not think that was a planned remark. Uh, Definitely wasn't read off the teleprompter. But I do think it was sort of an improvised thrown in there at the last moment. Here's how I really feel. And I know my State Department will clean it up if I've gone too far, but I want to say it anyway, and I can't unring the bell and that's good kind of a situation. I thought it was badass, honestly. And it's what all of us are thinking. There is He didn't say the words regime change, but we do need one in Russia. And I think he was speaking to the Russians when he said that. Of course, that's all just conjecture. We don't know what was in Biden's mind at the time that he said those uh, said those words. But I don't, uh, you know, I don't think the walk back was maybe necessary. I'm not sure. Uh, but I wish the press would stop talking about it and start talking more about other important shit, like the Ginny Thomas texts, which some of the news channels are doing pretty good job talking about, but not quite enough. Anyway, that's what I think about those remarks. I thought that was an amazing speech. It reminded me of the tear down the wall speech by Reagan. It reminded me of the Ich bin ein Berliner speech. I know that means I'm a jelly donut, but it reminded me of that speech as well. I thought it was I thought it was up there with one of the most important and consequential speeches that we've heard. And it just filled me with a like confirmation that we voted for and backed the right person. So good job, POTUS. All right, we do have a lot of news to get to. Let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, and I'm fucking pissed. Prosecutors have been sending back documents to people who turned over information about former President Donald Trump's business. And in perhaps the starkest sign yet, that Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan district attorney, might be winding down this investigation. According to two people familiar with it, witnesses who had turned over key documents to investigators have suddenly been getting their evidence back in recent weeks. 
I don't know if that means they made copies and sent it back, or maybe they meant to send it to the the feds because they should be picking up this investigation. Returning evidence, though, apparently is often a sign that an investigation is ending. And then this news comes one day after the New York Times published a leaked copy of that resignation letter from Pomerantz, where they said that Bragg declined to prosecute and that was a miscarriage of justice because Trump committed crimes. And I would have been able to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt in front of an impartial jury and maintain a conviction. But apparently Bragg, who had only been there for a couple weeks and didn't even really read the memos and wasn't totally read in on everything, thought he knew better than Dunn and Pomerantz, seasoned prosecutors who were working on the case with the grand jury and all the witnesses for over two years. I think Bragg needs to be investigated. And you know, I don't, I'm not about investigating investigators. I just want to know where his campaign donations came from. That's all. Very simple. Maybe it's all legit and above board. And he, perhaps it's as Daniel Goldman and others are saying, this was a good faith prosecutorial discretion decision. I personally don't think so. I'm just, and, and it's not because I'm a lawyer. It's because I'm taking Pomerantz and Dunn's word over Bragg's. It's as simple as that. They have to know better. They were steeped in the case for two years. Or, you know, maybe the feds are picking up the slack. I hope they do. Because if you remember in that Weisselberg 15 count indictment against Trump Organization in Weisselberg, Vance mentioned federal taxes 30 times, used the word federal. So, and you know, you can't break state tax law without also breaking federal tax law. <laughs> so I hope the feds are on it, the Southern District of New York. Or maybe the governor, the governor of New York will ask the attorney general to take over the criminal probe. The attorney general can, in fact, bring criminal indictments. It's just usually not done that way. But I'm not sure how that would impact her civil case against the Trump organization. Anyway, something is rotten and I want to find out what it is. So we need transparency, not just like, oh, forget about it. It was a good faith decision. Nothing to see here. Move it along. Not good enough. Also, up next, former President Trump and two of his adult children are scheduled to sit for depositions. This is not in the AAG New York Attorney General civil case. This isn't in a Summer Zervos case, which was dismissed. It's not the Eugene Carroll case. It's not any of the other hundreds of lawsuits that they could be deposed for. This is for the lawsuit accusing them of promoting a pyramid scheme on The Apprentice, and that's according to new federal filings. In a jointly filed status update, attorneys for both of the parties revealed that the former president will sit for a deposition this summer on June 16th. His adult sons will take the hot seat a little more than a month earlier. Eric Trump on May 12th, Don Jr. on May 10th. Is that Mother's Day? How wonderful. Quote, defendants have not yet or offered a deposition date for Ivanka Trump. And that's what it says there. The parties are meeting and conferring concerning the locations and logistics of these depositions. The documents show the steady progress of a complex and potentially ugly lawsuit the Trump family initially and unsuccessfully sought to secretly adjudicate in private arbitration. Oops. Initially filed anonymously in 2018, the lawsuit alleges that the Trump Corporation promoted a multi-level marketing scheme, better known as a pyramid scheme, through the company ACN Opportunity LLC, which operates under the name American Communications Network. The four named plaintiffs suing under a proposed class action agreed to waive their anonymity last year in a filing when they filed a second amended lawsuit. ACN, the plaintiffs said, was a get-rich-quick scheme that relied on Trump and his family conning each of the victims into giving up hundreds of thousands of dollars in alleged violation of various state laws. ACN forced investigators to sign an arbitration agreement, but the Trumps, who are also named defendants, did not, like the Second Circus, <laughs> I'm sorry, the Second Circuit 
likewise denied the Trump family's preference for arbitration last year. Nope, denied. The latest lawsuit alleges the Trumps arranged for ACN to appear twice on Celebrity Apprentice, described in the complaint as a primetime national television show that the Trumps used for what defendant Ivanka Trump calls a transparent form of product placement. In addition to Trump and his three children individually, the Trump Corporation is also named as a defendant, and the plaintiffs have sought to depose two of its employees in service of their claims. Quote, defendants offered deposition dates for two former employees of the Trump Corporation. Additionally, deposition dates for the four plaintiffs have been proposed. We expect to agree upon dates shortly. According to the latest filing, the plaintiffs, quote, completed their on-site review of unaired footage from two episodes of Celebrity Apprentice and have designated certain footage, under 50% of the total footage, by the way, that plaintiffs believe is relevant for copying, with plaintiffs barring the reasonable costs. The plaintiff's attorney, Robbie Kaplan, did not immediately respond to emails requesting comment, neither did any attorneys for the Trumps. And also, from Law and Crime Today, federal prosecutors have, quote, reached agreements in principle, unquote, with two of the remaining defendants in the We Build the Wall case previously associated with Bannon. And this is something the government has revealed in a court filing late Friday night. Trump pardoned Bannon, as we know, for charges that he conspired to commit wire fraud and money laundering in connection with the crowdfunding effort to construct a wall on the Mexico border. But uh, the former president left Bannon's accused co-conspirators hanging in the wind on similar accusations. He didn't pardon them, just Bannon. Now, two of the three remaining defendants, We Build the Wall's president, Brian Colfage and Timothy Shea, have signaled plans to, quote, enter pleas of guilty to the certain charges against them without a trial. Prosecutors said in February that the last person, Andrew Botolato, was in the, quote, final stages of negotiations with the government. They do not expect a trial to be necessary. If the three men's plans hold, those developments would render unnecessary the trial presently scheduled for May 16th, 2022. The parties are in the process of formalizing their agreements and will submit executed copies thereof to the court ASAP. Assistant U.S. Attorney, that's Nicholas Roos, wrote that in a one-page filing. In August 2020, prosecutors charged Colfage, Bannon, Bodolato, and Shea with conspiring to defraud donors. We Build the Wall allegedly promised every penny raised would go to construction, but prosecutors said Bannon pocketed a million bucks. Colfage took 350000 and went on a spending spree to buy a Jupiter Marine yacht called the Warfighter, a Range Rover SUV, a golf cart, jewelry, cosmetic surgery, and other things, according to the indictment. In addition to his indictment in the Southern District of New York, Colfage was charged separately in the Northern District of Florida for tax offenses. Those will be transferred to New York and resolved during his change of plea hearing here. Again, Trump only pardoned Bannon, not the other guys. Nor did he say why he didn't, by the way. And from the Times, buried in the thousands of documents, Mark Meadows, that's the, you know who Mark Meadows is, I don't have to tell you, but buried in those documents turned over late last year to the House committee were text messages that presented the panel with a political landmine. What to do about Virginia Thomas? of course, the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas. The messages showed that Ginny relentlessly urged Meadows to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which she called a heist, and indicated that she reached out to Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, about Donald's legal efforts to keep power. She even suggested the lawyer who should be put in charge of that effort, Sidney Powell. The public disclosure of the messages on Thursday focused new attention on one avenue of the investigation and risked creating a rare rift within the committee about how aggressively to pursue it, including whether to seek testimony from Ms. Thomas in the Thomases 
The committee is up against a couple that has deep networks of support across conservative movements and Washington, including inside the committee. The panel's Republican vice chairwoman, Liz Cheney, has led the charge in holding Trump to account for his efforts to overturn the election, but has wanted to avoid any aggressive effort that, in her view, could unfairly target Justice Thomas, a senior member of the Supreme Court. A lot of her money comes from the same donors that threw money at the Federalist Society. So, although the debate has broken out inside the committee about summoning Ms. Thomas to testify, the panel at this point has no plans to do so, leaving the Democrats, some Democrats, frustrated. That could change, however. On Friday, despite the potential of political backlash, Cheney indicated she has no objection to the panel asking Thomas for a voluntary interview. A New York Times Magazine investigation last month examined the political and personal history of Thomas, Jenny, and her husband. That included her role in efforts to overturn the election, her perch on the nine-member board of CNP, a conservative group we know that helped advance the Stop the Steal movement, and in mediating between feuding factions of organizers so that there wouldn't be any division around January 6th, as one other organizer put it. And during that period, SCOTUS was considering a number of cases related to the election, with Justice Thomas taking positions at times sympathetic to Trump's efforts to challenge the outcome. Hmm. This month, Ginny acknowledged attending the rally, the January 6th rally at the Ellipse that preceded the violence, but she left because she got cold. Then came disclosures of the text to Mr. Meadows, the contents of which were earlier reported by The Post and CBS. If the committee does not summon Ms. Thomas, some legal analysts said, it runs the risk of appearing to have a double standard. The panel has taken an aggressive posture toward many other potential witnesses, including subpoenas for bank and phone records of both high-ranking allies of the former president and low-level aides, with only a tangential connection to the events of January 6th. The committee's job is to present the truth of what happened on January 6th and determine if legislation is needed to prevent it from happening again. In my opinion, if they have what they need from phone records and subpoenas and other witness testimony and other phone records and other subpoenas, then I think fucking around with Ginny Thomas would only delay the public hearings. I'm not saying she shouldn't be subpoenaed. She should. But let's not subpoena her and then have to wait to see how that turns out before we get to the public hearings. Because the only thing that subpoenaing her will do would be so that you can file and refer for criminal contempt and possibly hold her criminally accountable. Because I don't think she's going to voluntarily testify. (laughs) That lady is way out in left field. And since you can't get her to, you can't, referring for contempt doesn't compel anyone to testify. It just punishes them for not showing up or refusing to do so. So that's what I would do. I'd say, look, we got what we need, but we're going to go ahead, subpoena her and hold her accountable for not showing up and answering questions anyway. But that's a sideline thing. That is, you know, something that we can do and refer to the DOJ and then the DOJ can take it. We don't need to squeeze that in between where we are right now and the public hearings, if that makes any sense. We can dick with the contempt afterwards. You know what I mean? The lack of consensus also underscores the extent, the lack of consensus in the committee underscores the extent to which Thomas's shadow, including his network of supporters and former clerks, looms over various aspects of the investigation. Three of Justice Thomas's former clerks, a federal judge, a top committee investigator, and a key advisor to Donald, have major roles in the matter. A main strategist in the effort to try to overturn the election, John Eastman, is a former Thomas clerk. John Wood, one of the January 6th committee's top investigators, and another former Thomas clerk, is leading the so-called gold team examining Trump's inner circle. Didn't know that. And federal judge Carl Nichols, who is hearing a case related to the Capitol riot, also former clerk of Justice Thomas's. It's of note that Pence's lawyer, Greg Jacob, testified to the committee that Eastman believed Clarence Thomas would back his fringe legal theories 
he admitted that the court as a whole would vote against him. 7-2, he thought. One of those would be Thomas. He didn't say who the other one was. As Kyle Cheney writes for Politico, Jenny Thomas's unfettered access to Trump's chief of staff and potentially others in his West Wing raises new questions about another figure, Eastman, right? Like we just said. Eastman spent the final weeks driving a strategy of Trump's presidency, driving a strategy to pressure Pence to stop Congress from certifying Joe Biden's victory, a plan that relied on legal theories so extreme, the 1-6 committee says they amount to criminal conspiracy and fraud. The select committee has evidence that when a top Pence aide challenged Eastman's plan on January 4th, that's Greg Jacob, Eastman initially told him he believed two Supreme Court justices would back him up. One of them was Clarence Thomas. Don't know who the other one is. Eastman's assertion, described by Pence's counsel to the select committee in his testimony, that's Greg Jacob, like I said, appeared to be a guess based on analysis of Thomas's long legal career. Eastman had reason to know Thomas's views well. He clerked for the George H.W. Bush appointee in the 90s. Now, um, the revelation that Thomas's wife kept in contact with Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, in the weeks after Trump's defeat, pressing him to keep trying to overturn the election, adds a new wrinkle to the timeline. Rep. Jamie Raskin told Politico, new details raise important questions about whether Eastman had a specific reason to believe Justice Thomas would support his radical gambit or if he was simply voicing a hunch. Proving that is going to be so hard, you guys. You actually have to have communications between them. Or, you know, where he communicates that he talked to Thomas or something of that, something of that effect. Now, not proof to the court of public opinion. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, like proof, criminal proof. Eastman's attorney, Charles Burnham, didn't respond to questions about whether Eastman maintained ties to the Thomases or communicated with either of them, of course. And that not responding to inquiries speaks pretty loudly to me. If you didn't, you say you didn't, right? But maybe he just missed the emails. Maybe they were sent on the Chapman University server and he just won't open them. <laughs> There's no known evidence that Eastman was directly in touch with either of them. No known evidence of either of the Thomases. But the conservative legal scholar has taken pains to avoid revealing his interactions in that time frame. And we're still waiting for the results of the in-camera review of those 111 Eastman emails he claims are protected by attorney-client or work-product privilege. Be real interesting if there was some in there to Justice Thomas or Jenny Thomas, wouldn't it? The amount of time it's taking says to me the judge has probably found examples falling under the crime-fraud exception, and he's trying to figure out a way to put that out there in the public. Because that would be a that would be a, an example of a judge saying that, you know, there's crime fraud here or enough for for me to waive privilege on these emails. Not enough beyond a reasonable doubt for crimes, but enough for me to say that these emails aren't covered by privilege, work product, attorney client or otherwise. That's just my take. That's just my take. So put some beans on it. Also, this is cool. Tax the rich. The White House will unveil a new minimum tax targeting billionaires as part of its 2023 budget. And they'll do that on Monday, proposing, that's today, proposing a tax on the richest 700 Americans for the first time, according to five people with knowledge of the matter and an administration document obtained by The Post. The billionaire minimum income tax plan under President Biden would establish a 20% minimum tax rate on all American households worth more than $100 million. The majority of new revenue raised by the tax would come from billionaires. Biden has long favored higher taxes on wealthiest Americans, but the White House has not introduced a tax plan specifically designed to hit billionaires until now. The plan comes amid signs that the administration's negotiations with Senator Joe Manchin over a stalled White House economic proposal may be reviving. But all previous efforts to tax billionaires have failed amid major political headwinds, and it's unclear if Manchin and Cinema, 
will go along with the plan. Probably not. The White House Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and Council of Economic Advisors estimated this fall that about 400 billionaire families paid an average federal tax rate of just over 8%. I fucking pay 33%. These fuckers pay 8%, and they're billionaires. The White House plan would mandate billionaires to pay a tax rate of at least 20% on their full income, or the combination of traditional form of wage income and whatever they may have in unrealized gains, such as stock. Thank you. White House officials estimated this tax would raise about $360 billion in new revenue over the next 10 years. The proposal was developed by Biden and aides in the Office of Management and Budget, the Treasury Department, and the White House National Economic Council. And our last story today, the war in Ukraine is proving extraordinarily lethal for Russian generals. The gray men bedecked in service medals who were being aggressively targeted by Ukrainian forces and killed at a rate not seen since World War II. Ukrainian officials say their forces have killed seven generals on the battlefield felled by snipers, close combat, and bombings. If true, the deaths of so many generals alongside more senior Russian army and naval commanders in just four weeks of combat exceeds the attrition rate seen in the worst months of fighting in the bloody nine-year war fought by Russia and Chechnya, as well as Russian and Soviet-era campaigns in Afghanistan, Georgia, and Syria. Quote, it is highly unusual, said senior Western official, briefing reporters on the topic who confirmed the names, ranks, and killed-in-action status of the seven. In all, at least 15 senior Russian commanders have been killed in the field, and that's Markian Lubkivsky. That's a spokesperson for the Ukraine Ministry of Defense. NATO officials have estimated that as many as 15,000 Russian troops have been killed by four weeks of war, very high number. And Russia has offered a far lower figure, saying that they've lost 1,351. The Russian government has not confirmed the deaths of its generals. If the numbers of senior commanders killed proves accurate, the Russian generals have been either extremely unlucky or successfully targeted or both. Shooting generals is a legitimate tactic of war, and it's been openly embraced by Ukrainian officials who say their forces have been focused on slowing Russian advances by concentrating fire on Russia command and control units near the front lines. Jeffrey Edmonds, former director for Russia of the National Security Council and now a senior analyst at the CNA think tank in Washington, said Ukrainian forces appear to be targeting anyone with gray hair standing near a bunch of antennas. (laughs) That's a signal they might be senior officers. Some experts suggest Russian military has struggled to keep its communications secure and that Ukraine intelligence units have found their targets through Russian carelessness, with Russian forces reduced to using unencrypted devices because they've blown up all the 4G towers. And there have been reports of Russian soldiers using mobile phones. All right, I will be right back with your good news. Right after this message, stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG with The Beans, and today it's brought to you by Helix Sleep. Getting a good night's sleep is essential for our health, physical and mental. When you wake up tired and drowsy after a night of insomnia, it's hard to function. You can be sore too, so that's the physical part, but you can also just not be mentally ready to take on the day. It can also wear you down after time. And in the past, I've struggled with this, as you know, and when I first noticed it, I thought it had to do with stress, but that was just part of it. It also had to do with my terrible mattress. It was made for someone else. My sleep has been restored thanks to Helix Sleep. Regardless of your sleep style or body type, Helix has the right mattress for you. You can take their online sleep quiz to be matched with your ideal mattress at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. And they have a wide array of mattresses. Soft to firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, spinal alignment mattresses. They even have a Helix Plus for plus size sleepers. The Helix Midnight is what I was matched with because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress. And now I'm able to fall asleep easily. 
I stay asleep. I don't wake up and toss and turn. And I wake up feeling fresh and alert and I'm not sore. Thanks to Helix. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews. They're the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And of course, leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 sleeps with no risk. They'll pick it up if you don't love it and they give you a full refund. And they have financing options available too. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, whoopee stories, idioms, mixed up song lyrics, what the mutt, find the cat, uh, anything you want to send to us. I still accept Halloween pictures all year round. Easter bunny pictures are always funny. You can send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, good news story from the Los Angeles Times. One of California's eight newest judges is the first openly transgender person to be appointed to the bench in the Golden State. Andy Mudrick, 58, will serve as a judge in Sacramento County Superior Court, filling the vacancy created by the retirement of Judge Benjamin Davidian. Newsom is announcing a batch of judicial appointments and nominations, and that this happened on Friday. I'm humbled and honored and I'm thrilled, Murdoch told the Times on Friday. I'm grateful to Governor Newsom for creating a vision of California for all. Murdoch has lived in Sacramento since 2009, says she feels proud to serve the community. That is excellent, excellent news. Welcome, Judge Murdoch. All right. First up from our listener submitted portion of the good news. This comes from Gates, pronouns she and they. Hi, AG, DG and the whole Beans team. Back in January, I found out I was going to run the Berlin Marathon in September. The next week I was running, slipped on ice, broke my ankle in the middle of training for my next marathon. It was broken in three places and they had to do surgery, plates and screws on both sides, leaving my left leg completely non-weight bearing for six weeks. I discovered the show in February when I was recovering at my parents' house. It made me feel more involved in what was going on in the world, even though I couldn't leave the house. Now that I'm mobile again, I listen to the Daily Beans on my post-work walk every afternoon. Thank you for helping me through recovery and giving me something to look forward to every day. Gates, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Uh, my mom like stepped off a curb and broke her ankle and had to get pins and, and, and screws and stuff put into it. And it's just no fun. Six weeks is a long time for a runner to be off their feet. P.S. Gates says, pet tax attached, Mocha, my little black cat, and Bean, my calico. Also, my post-surgery ankle x-ray, which I think is cool because I'm a bio nerd, but you don't have to share it if it's too weird. (laughs) Not sure if it requires a trigger warning or content warning. I apologize if it does, but we just gave it. So let's see. Oh, look at the kitty. I love calicos. They're so soft. Oh, you have a void boy, just like me. Oh, that x-ray is cool. I like x-rays too. Sorry. Look at that. Look at all those pins and screws. That whole thing holding your bone up. I can see where it was broken. Wow. Woo. I'm glad you're back up and on your feet again, Gates. Thanks for that submission. Next up from David, pronouns he and him. Just some pod pet pics to share. This is awesome. If you just want to send in your pet photos, I am so down for this. Just send them on in. Again, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Pod pet pics to share from David Scooby, our daughter Ruth's Chihuahua mix puppy, is on surveillance. He's a Jack Russell Terrier mix. If you want to do a what the mutt, 
He's a ham. He loves playing with our 11-year-old pug Boston mix bug. I get it. Boston pug bug. Oh, my God. Look at this. Look at the eyes. <laughs> I have I, that exact chair that your dog is sitting in. I got those two of those for my parents for Christmas. Look at these babies. Tug of war. I love it. Thank you so much, David. And again, you just want to send in your pet photos. I'm down. I love pet photos. Next up from Daniel, pronouns he and him. I'm sending this as a confession because I have no idea what I'm doing for this good news. Through a series of coincidences, I became second vice chair of my county Democratic Party when I attended the county convention, which was literally my first meeting. Well, fuck yeah, Daniel. Nice. First meeting, you become the second vice chair. Okay, now I'm considering a run for office. Excellent. We're a week out from the filing deadline, and there are no Democrats have filed for any office in my county, including the congressional seat. I happen to share a last name with the incumbent, so I was thinking to ride his coattails and pick off a down-ballot race. Hell yeah. Now, it looks like I may have to convince my wife to let me run against him. It's daunting, and I'm losing sleep reading over Run for Something's resources to figure out if I can manage to do this while also working 60 hours a week at my job. For pet tax attached is Zeke the Freak from the Creek, who got dropped on our property 10 years ago and is enjoying Grandma's couch. I say go for it, Daniel. Look at Zeke the Freak (laughs) from the Creek. He's so cute. I love his face. His little teeth. Next up from Alyssa, pronouns she and her. Hey there, Beans Queens. I want to thank you and my noise-canceling headphones for keeping me connected while a choice few parents of my daughter's extracurricular activity was a, a, a dive down the Q rabbit hole. I also frantically knit. I figure if my hands are busy, I won't fly into rage. That's very good. Since you've been into handmade things lately, I figured I'd share what I do. I knit personalized Christmas stockings all year long. Some are classic snowflakes or trees. Some have robots. Others go for dinosaurs. After nine years in business, I'm finally hitting my stride and staying busy with orders. Even in the summer, I'm proud of all the work I put in and uh, the little corner of Etsy I've carved out for myself. I'll keep doing you and I'll be listening and knitting. Oh my God, I need some of these stockings. (gasps) Knit with the wind. I love this. Thank you so much for sending this, Alyssa. I'm going to have to check out your store. I need some Christmas stockings. I haven't had any for a long time and me and my cats don't have any. So um, your store is definitely where I'm going. From Anne, pronouns she and her. Hello, people of the Illuminati. I never thought I would say these words. The good news is I can start radiation therapy. This story begins after suspicious findings seen on a mammogram in December, which resulted in a biopsy, MRI, three surgeries. My surgeon declared I finally achieved a clear surgical margin so I can now move to the next step of treatment. I'm grateful that the cancer was found early and there's no indication of spread. I'm also grateful for the help of friends, coworkers, neighbors, and my family. For example, my next-door neighbor arranged to get the driveway plowed after a snowstorm a few days after the first surgery. That's awesome. Attached are pictures of the snow and my dog waiting for his evening walk. That is a lot of snow. Holy majoli. Look at that. Oh, it looks pretty. I, I don't miss living in it, but I miss it. You know? Does that make sense? It's beautiful. Let's see this doggo. he's cute (laughs) this little peat prints all over the snow it's adorable thank you thank you for this submission is that a cat no okay this is wonderful i appreciate this and these photos and uh Alyssa, i look forward to shopping stockings at your etsy store i love zeke daniel he's amazing 
I love this tug of war with the doggos. Bug. <laughs> Bug. And uh, Scooby. Looks like Scooby. Thanks for the ankle picture with all the pins and screws. It's pretty great. I'm a bio nerd too. And your kitties are awesome. So Gates, thanks for that as well. All right. If you, again, have any good news, you just send it into us at dailybeanspod.com. Clicking on contact. We'll uh, be back tomorrow in your ears. And uh, of course, Dana's going to be back in a few days. So I'm looking forward to that. I miss her. I miss her already. But thanks for hanging in with me. And until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.